Hey, Kendra, what are you thinking about? Hey, Lacey, I'm thinking about winter break. What are you thinking about? Is it okay to sing Christmas songs when it's 70 degrees outside? That's what I'm wondering. I sure hope so, because if it's wrong, I don't want to be right. Oh, my goodness. All right, so Lacey, today we are going to talk a little bit about what sort of things we should do to practice what we preach, to model the things we want our teachers to do. Yeah, and I think part of this is coming from our reflection at Learning Forward, the conference that we just came from. So we've had some time to really think about what we saw and take some of the lessons that we learned, and now we're going to talk to you about those things. So So I think the number one thing that if I'm thinking back to Learning Forward, this happened, and I hate when this happens, So the presenter came into one of the sessions and said, you know, we're going to talk about this innovative instructional practice, but we're going to lecture at you for two and a half hours. And that's one of those things that I think happens so often to educators where people are coming in, they're saying, you know, you should try this, you should try that. But all they do is they lecture and you sit there for two hours and you hear about something. Right. And I think, I think I say I think too much, but... seeing is believing. So when you're talking about something different, if you're talking about blended learning or specifically flipped learning, and you're trying to give your teachers an experience or show them what it's like to be a teacher of a flipped learning classroom or to be a student in a flipped learning classroom, the best thing you can do is flip the classroom. Absolutely. The worst thing you can do is lecture at them about what flipped classrooms are and are not but unfortunately what we see is that people do this all the time that they say oh okay so I want you guys to have more student-centered classrooms so sit right here during this faculty meeting for an hour and I'm going to tell you what student-centered classrooms are tell you about student-centered classroom right so I think that regardless of if you are a teacher of adults or a teacher of children that you should be practicing what you preach. Sort of things that get done to teachers, or even if teachers are leading a meeting or a training for other teachers, really kind of put yourself into the shoes of the person who's on the receiving end of whatever you're doing. That's right. And try, I don't know, try to think about what you would like to do, because I think the default knee-jerk reaction is, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'll just do a PowerPoint up here, and you can sit and you can watch it. And if you're lucky, I'll let you talk a little bit. Right. You know, that's actually a very good segue into the next best practice in my mind. Is that a lot of times when we train adults, I hear people say, is they're opening, you know, they introduce themselves and then they say, don't worry, guys, you're already doing this. Oh, Lacey, this is my least favorite thing. I know, because what happens is all the people in the audience who are supposed to be learning something new, something useful, something they can take back to their classrooms are going oh, I'm already doing this. I don't need to pay attention to you. That's right. Yeah. Why are you telling, why are you wasting my time in this meeting if I'm already doing this? Right. Which which begs the question or two important questions is why are we here if we don't need to hear it? And also, (laughs) and also if I'm not already doing it and that's why I need to be sitting here experiencing this or listening to you talk about it, then why did you say that in the first place? Right. I think it is 
leads to a lot of confusion. And I know personally, if someone says I'm already doing something, I'm going to check right out. Like I'm going to say, okay, well, I'm already doing this. Let me grab out some papers to grade or let me catch up on my email sort of thing. Let me do something I'm not already doing. (laughs) And so Lacey, this is one of my big pet peeves. And one of our teammates, Ann Wyman, gave me or told us something that I really connected with. And she said that rather than saying you're already doing this, you can say you're already doing a part of this or you've already started to do this. So really build in, like you mentioned earlier, that development, that growth that is still possible for the teachers. All right. So um, let's talk about feedback. So when Kendra and I present, we always ask for feedback whether it's just verbal feedback to the whole group or whether we meet one-on-one individually with teachers and you know as they're working on something else to ask for feedback or maybe we ask probing questions to try and find out where misconceptions are or where an error occurred or what things are going well sometimes you get that kind of feedback but we always try to ask for feedback and I think most teachers a lot of teachers like 99.999% of teachers are curious about what things are working and not working and want to be better teachers. So we often elicit feedback from our students, whether they are children's students or adult students. But what the best practice is here, the opportunity for a best practice, is to do something with the feedback. So I think there are several kind of interesting things about this. And that's first, sometimes you get horrible feedback and some not horrible like you're a, a bad teacher, but horrible is in like instead of doing this activity, you should let us go outside and blow bubbles, right? That would be horrible feedback from a student because there's no learning opportunity. But I think what people need to realize is the best practice is that when you ask for feedback, you should either do the feedback or if you're not going to, you should acknowledge that feedback was given. So you should say to said student who wants to go outside and blow bubbles, thank you for your feedback. I appreciate that you took the time to contribute to our classroom to make it better. However, I disagree with you. We're not going to be doing that. And I think that that is one small step that since we're asking for feedback anyways, that that's one thing that you can do to encourage student ownership in your classroom and just increase student what would you call this like the classroom culture I yeah that and that was what I was just going to say I think this goes a long way to building your classroom culture because if you're going to ask someone to tell you what they think the least you can do is make a change based on it or tell them why you're not going to make a change based on it at least acknowledge it I mean they put effort into thinking I really want to go outside and blow bubbles but since that's not going to happen I mean the least we can do is say Sorry, Charlie. That's right. And I, Lacey, I think this is a situation that lots of educators and probably just generally a lot of people have been in where they've had a, a boss or, you know, some sort of leader. They've, they've asked for feedback and they've the person or the direct report, if I'm going to be Kim Scott about this, has given them some feedback and then you never hear anything about it. There's no changes based on your feedback. You don't hear anything in reference to your feedback and that's a really frustrating place to be at so I think if you are thinking about asking people for feedback which I'm all for like I love feedback make sure that you do something with it or at least follow up on the feedback so that they feel like they didn't waste their time right so here's actually an example of common feedback that administrators in a school might get from teachers so they might say you know what can we do to improve our faculty meetings and teachers probably say don't make us meet just to meet if we can send it in an email let's send it in an email so 
you know, we all know that that can't happen exactly like that. You can't have zero face-to-face meetings where the message is delivered and where some detail is explained. You know, there's, there's got to be reasons why we meet. But a happy medium between this is to either send out an email saying, thank you for your feedback, but we're not going to be doing that way, which is not a great idea. But maybe what you could do is before your next faculty meeting, look at your agenda, decide what things can be emailed and not emailed, and the morning of the faculty meeting, email a reminder saying we are having a faculty meeting this afternoon and here are some bullet points that we were going to talk about that can simply just be read in an email. See you at 3.30 guys, you know, and that's a happy medium between I acknowledge what you've asked me to do and although we can't totally do it, we can at least incorporate some elements of it. Right. And or even along with Lacey's example, maybe you can reduce the number of face-to-face meetings you have to have in half or, you know, somehow take what that feedback said and put that into practice whether it is immediately apparent how you would do that or not try to think about ways that you might be able to do it Mm -hmm. I think that brings us into another good best practice that we're talking about and that is about your brain and how much your brain can really do before it needs a break and I've been doing some learning on the side about instructional design. And one of the things that really stuck with me is about how your pre-short-term memory really has about 20 to 30 minutes in it before it needs a reset. So when you're learning something new, expecting someone to sit there for two or three hours and keep learning and learning and learning is not realistic and it's not possible. Or even one hour, right? Which is the length of most faculty meetings. You can't sit in a seat for an hour and learn you can't pay the most attention right and so I think if you think about the feeling you've had before when you've been in a long meeting like that about halfway through or maybe 20 or 30 minutes into it you start checking out or you start looking around or you start counting things because your brain just can't keep keep up with that so if you're planning something like this if you're planning a training if you're planning a meeting keep that in mind keep things to 20 or 30 minutes and then build in some sort of break whether it's getting people up and asking them to relocate to another spot or asking them to share something with a colleague just a chance for their brains to reset get the new learning into their short-term memory so that they can get back to new information again right and just to reiterate or maybe to clarify these little breaks don't have to be intense 20-minute breaks. They can literally be, all right, let's turn and talk at our table, or they can be, let's relocate to another seat in the room, like Kendra suggested. But they don't have to be big things. You just need to switch your topic or switch from you talking to them talking or switch from one activity to another activity. Right. And I think Lacey brings up a good point. We're talking about a break of like 45 seconds to two minutes or something, just a chance for your brain to reset and get ready again. And I think, all right, so usually this idea of brain breaks is formulated around student learners, but this is incredibly true for both student and adult learners. So what is your, in your opinion, Kendra, from the research you've been doing, is there a difference in student time and adult time? Are they similar or? No, there's definitely a difference. The younger you are, the less time that there is. So I think it's like, I don't know, twice the amount for per grade level or something. I I don't, I don't remember the, the formula. I was just kind of connect with the adult learner part but there's definitely a big difference the younger the student is the less time they can sit at one task and I'm sure anyone who teaches younger students probably already knows that but I think it's something to keep in mind and 
I don't know, keep in the front of your head when you're planning something, especially for adults. So almost think about them as your students and know that their brains can't handle really much more than a middle school or a high school student can. Yeah, maximize your effort. If you know that people cannot pay attention to you after 20 minutes, then why are you trying? That's right. Give them a break. You're just going to get upset and they're going to not learn anything anyway. So what's the point? Then you're going to have to do it again. (laughs) No thanks. All right. Well, let's see. What was that? Five or six little tips on the best practices of working with adult learners. And most of them translate over to student learners as well. Absolutely. We've got some resources for you in the show notes, one of which is a raffle for a Learning Forward um, artifact. Artifact. Yeah. From if you listen to our podcast on day one, you will enjoy this artifact. So check out our site, click the link and enter to win our artifact. We'll mail it to you. It's a really interesting artifact. We'll also send you something nice too. And what else is in the show notes for people, Kendra? We also included some information by Kim Scott, who is our probably podcast crush. Um, Yes, I love her. Me too. So she and Russ Laraway record a podcast called Radical Candor. And it's really influenced a lot of the stuff that Lacey and I do. But she has some great stuff about feedback and giving feedback and asking for feedback. So we're going to link that in there for you. And uh, let's see, you've got some brain research, little right. snippets to share with people. Yep, we'll put a little bit in there, nothing too overwhelming. And um, that's it, right? That's it. Okay. Well, we've- have a great break, everybody. We'll see you in 2018. That's right. Year two of the podcast. Can you put in some kind of music right here that's like New Year's music? What is what New is Year's music? Old Lang Syne. Okay. Just oh, that's it. very grim. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll find something to put over this right here. It's an outro. I mean, it's going to have to be Old Lang Syne. There's nothing else, is there? I don't know. What do you think of... So what music pops up in your head when you talk about New Year's Eve? None. Yeah. It's like Jingle Bells, but then I'm like, <laughs> that's, wait, that's, that's just the week before New Year's Eve. That's right. Because there's the Old Lang Syne, but I don't know the words, so I can't even sing it. It's like... Should all acquaintance be I didn't even know that was the name of that song. It sure is. Um, well, we'll come up with something good. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast this year. We really appreciate it. Please help us grow our listenership by recommending our podcast to friends and giving us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. 
We hope you have a wonderful 2008 and can't wait to get back to learning with you. Bye.